Hello everyone, a big welcome to Carboholic, the ultimate logistics podcast. On Carboholic, we discuss the journeys of leaders in logistics and the disruptions which the industry is seeing today and will witness tomorrow. Hi, a very big welcome to Carboholic. Today we have with us Patrick Berglund, the CEO of Zenita from Norway. Zenita is a six-year-old enterprise which has raised over $20 million and is a, is a market leader in ocean and air freight rate benchmarking. It is one of the fastest growing logistics startups around the world and has Fortune 500 enterprises as clients. A big welcome on Cargoholic today, Patrick. Thank you. Appreciate the, the invite and for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started. Oh, our listeners and for those who have broadly understood the Zenita model, we would love to hear from you uh, just about Zenita, what Zenita does and how it's adding value. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's the simplest explanation to, to what we're doing is, uh, is that we're crowdsourcing freight rates from shippers. So, you know, these large corporations, some of these are public reference customers of ours like Unilever, Nestle, these companies, they they go to market and they run an RFQ, a tender, and then they secure a contract, right? So they allocate some volumes to different carriers or different forwarders, and then they have a price level set for the different trade routes around the world for a locked-in period. Let's assume it's one year, it can be one quarter, whatever they decide, right? Now that data is what they uploaded to their own account into Sonera. We then aggregate that data based on all the different, you know, origin, destination, equipment type, contract duration, the various combinations. So we allow them to see what is the spread and the average achieved in the market on these different combinations so that they can capture their own position in the market. And when we started out, we said our aspiration and and, uh, Vision is going to be to drive transparency into ocean freight pricing. And we had to do that with this crowdsourcing model. We had to go to the actual buyers of this uh, service because those were the only one that had a, a true incentive to A, join, B, to provide the data, right? So in the beginning, you're facing this tremendous chicken and egg problem. Because the service will only be valuable once you have a lot of companies connected. So the first two and a half years were really uh, difficult. We were like running like hamsters in a wheel to to collect data. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, because all the data expires at some point. So so imagine this that you have. You have a large exporter out of Brazil from, let's say, Santos to, to Europe, to Rotterdam, and he wants to use the software, but he's not finding other exporters in Brazil in there, so there's no data. And he's, he's willing to give data, but his data expires in six months. So that left us with six months to find enough Brazilian exporters to give that one any value back. So that kind of, you know, uh, chicken and egg problem uh, and running like a hamster it was, was absolutely uh, the biggest accomplishment we've ever had with the company. Because 
in that period of two and a half years, we we collected two million rates, right? Three years after, those two million has grown to more than 50 million, right? So it really started to pop. And, and the, the beautiful thing about doing it this way is that the breadth and depth of the platform, meaning the reach of it and the accuracy of it, improves for every single company that joins and feeds in data. That means that the entire network already using it gets more value from it every single day. And that's what we've seen evolve over the last, let's say, especially four years, right? And to, to choose this kind of entry point on this large enterprise scale globally has been very cumbersome and, and, and it's been a real tough journey. But now reaping the benefits and seeing what we're capable of providing our customers, both on the shipper side, on the forwarding side, and on the carrier side, is really rewarding. Because when we have carriers and forwarders, the leading MBOCs is embracing this platform, it's also confirming that the breadth and depth of the database is sufficient because these companies have Ocean Freight as core business and they need to see that what we're presenting reflects the market. Otherwise, they would never stay with us because this is, this is the heart of their business, right? So I believe this journey, getting to these kind of data sets, working with these fantastic enterprises, having them finally embrace it has been by far the biggest accomplishment and, and, and quite, a, quite a ride for us as a company, to be honest. Thank you, Patrick, for sharing that and uh, very inspiring to know that uh, you could survive and ensure that you won over the chicken and egg challenge, which is the biggest hurdle for most logistics startups. We have one question which has been speculation uh, around everyone we discussed with about Zenita that was it at any point in time true that ocean carriers themselves were offering freight trades? Uh, the speculation comes from the fact that day one onwards, you, uh, Zenita as a platform had a lot of freight rates already. So, uh, just to clear, is, are shipping lines involved in offering rates on the platform? Yeah, so that's, we've never, uh, put in data from shipping lines. The reason for that is twofold. A, just to get this clear, I would love to do it, but A, there's some legal hurdles which makes it very difficult, right? So from a legal point of view, uh, we can't, we're not able to check that box. B, if you get data from the shipping lines, they are the one stakeholder that has the biggest incentive to skew the market data. So if the rate is, let's say, 1,000, they have a big incentive to put 2,000 in, right? So... It's not really a viable path or solution for us to go down that road and receive data from the carrier side. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And this is only to uh, to ask that in the beginning there were so many questions regarding where such so much such a large data set came from, right? Where a lot of speculation was around shipping lines probably shared data, which was very hard to digest because the privacy that shipping lines want to maintain, like you said, uh, it does go against their own current operating flow. 
Now, since benchmarking is already covered for ocean freights, and now we've heard of you entering air freight as well. So um, benchmarking is of great value to customers. But wouldn't it be a natural extension for Zenita to now start also allowing booking on the platform and have all the volume getting routed? So, so let me see. I I look at this very differently than what I believe most of the, the various startups I've met so far looks at this. I, I always said that there's, to me, there's a very distinct line from what I define as procurement and sourcing events and operations. What you're proposing is that I put something on that connects the sourcing activity with the operations. And I always said that we want to stay away from the operations because I believe that the legacy players who's out there, a lot of the new tech companies uh, who's out there, they're all trying to solve this issue. And it's a very fierce competitive market. And I'm I'm rooting for everyone from the legacy players to the new uh, tech startups and, and all of that. But I've said that our company will stay on the sourcing side. So what this means for me is that we can be a platform of, for, for providing the data to any of those that we can find a match to build it together with, right? So I believe it can be done through partnerships rather than Seneta transforming into that. I don't, I don't want to go in that direction because I also believe that once I do, I will start to become a player that somewhat comes into conflict with my customers now that my customer base is NVOCCs, uh, carriers, and, and, and shippers, right? So I'm comfortable with Seneta staying where we are on the sourcing side, getting this data in, and then potentially building onto like a platform idea. Uh, we have APIs set up with various companies from, you know, tech companies to financial institutions to uh, forwarders, even shipper have API connection and then carrier. So this is what we're capable of playing with. And, and if, if someone wants to use that meaningfully to build an online booking site, whether it's the, the legacy players or whether it's a new entrance like these startups, we're open to have those conversations. How would that business model look and work like and, and what kind of data would we submit? So I'd rather believe in partnering on that rather than building it uh, by ourselves, to be honest. Fair, makes sense. So offline uh, logistics as a whole is very dependent on offline sales and relationship building. And that's a big pain area for logistics startups who hope that just like any other SaaS product, someone would sign up and get started. So in the logistics space, since you all have a wide number of customers, have you all been able to crack this, uh, change the behavior some way, or you all also have an offline sales team and continue and you all have embraced that it will take a while for the industry to change? Uh, it's, it's a beautiful question, to be honest. It's uh, and a very accurate observation. And um, I'm glad to hear that everyone is uh, is uh, troubled and by that and see that as the challenge <laughs> because we do as well, right? right? So the way we've looked at it is that how can we build this sales machine because we very early on acknowledged the fact that we have to go with outbound sales. That doesn't mean that we don't do inbound sales. That doesn't mean that we we, we look at this very sophistic, uh, sophisticated from a like marketing 
point of view where we do the top of the funnel and, and, and get the different personas onto our websites and convert them down the funnel, right? But mm-hmm. we know that a massive portion of our success is dependent on the outbound sales engine that we deploy. Okay. So define our go-to-market strategy, right? And not only that, but if you know, if you're going to work with the Bosch Siemens, uh, uh, work with the Electrolux and, and, and Continental of the world, it's, it's a high-touch game. It, it's not you release a website and they, they are drawn to this automatically. Right? These are people and personal relationships that you've got to build on, uh, up. And you've got to build them en masse, so tons of them, quickly enough and for a long enough period to convert them into business, right? Mm-hmm. So the beautiful thing is that, all right, it takes time, as you pointed out, and the industry is not really customized to, like, you know, go online and purchase anything, right? There's only a few of our deals that have been more or less short sales funnel, mainly online stuff. Everything is high-touch, long sales cycles. Okay. So the conundrum that most startups are facing is that the the tickets they're dealing with are so small, right? So we very early on decided we have to go to all the big enterprises because there you can talk different uh, deal sites, right? Then sure. it's worthwhile and valuable to invest tons of time over a longer period of time because once it starts to convert and scale and all that, it, it will be a healthy business, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, how we kind of deal with, let's say, the long tail of the industry, the smaller volume players and so forth, we look at those through channels. It's not something that I can build a, an outbound sales engine to address directly, right? right? And, 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 and really what we need to make sure is that we're just best at, at this. Right? That's the only thing I can focus on to, to optimize that machine and, and go to market strategy. And we, we use this all bound uh, sales and marketing approach to it. We create these personas. We, we adapt our uh, sites, the websites that we track different things with cookies. You know, who's going on to our site, who's the different contact persons within these different enterprises and which locations and so forth. Right. So, all of that gets done, and it's it's quite sophisticated and it's something we've put an awful lot of energy into, into, but it's not automatically pouring in business inbound. That's not the main channel that will work for this industry, to be honest. <laughs> Unfortunate, but maybe we have to live with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, good. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Uh, moving away from sales and, and what uh, we are experiencing about the industry in general. Now, Intra being at the as a front runner in the full container load space, uh, recently has experimented spot rates, uh, getting this on the website to specific forwarders and allowing booking on the on the tariff prices. And because Intra neutrally has access to the largest data bank of uh, just bookings around the world between forwarders and even direct shippers, um, do you think that uh, an enterprise like Intra, which is trying to innovate very aggressively now, could be able to build a beautiful benchmarking product in the future, maybe a few years down the line, because they already have a head start in specifically the full container load space. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. There's uh, this is like in the bucket of uh, potential threats for me, right? There's okay. there's tons of those. Various RMT software. Uh, you can even argue that some of these um, uh, SAP systems. There's so many large 
software enterprises that potentially could step into our turf. Now, there's certain things I think is really fundamentally different with some of these companies than uh, compared to ours. So the best way I can to explain it is, is like a company has a certain DNA, and the original DNA is what you sold out to accomplish, set out to accomplish in the beginning. So we built a company that's born from what I say, we're born from data because we knew that the data would provide visibility. Everything else, you know, the software layers on top to portray a beautiful uh, market spread or something like that, that's really not where the value is of our business. The business is, the value is in that DNA that we're born from the data. And what I'm, what I'm, why I'm focusing on that, sorry, why I'm focusing on that is simply because it's so difficult to change a company's DNA. So my point here is that if you set a, a, a out to build an online booking site and three years down the journey or 10 years or 15 years down the journey, you realize that shit, I should build something else or I should do this in addition, transitioning and changing is so difficult than being born from the kind of the right place from the get-go. So right. I acknowledge all these various threats. I believe our benefit is that we move quicker because we're born from the right stuff. We have, have this in the in our DNA. And I just, I, I'm just comfortable on, uh, and bullish on our behalf to accomplish the mission we set forth uh, for the company to begin with. And not, not discarding that there, yeah, there's definitely threats there, whether it's, you know, intra or any of the other newcomers or any of the other legacy players or even some of the consultancy firms that's been around there, right? Mm -hmm. So absolutely, fully aware, uh, believe it's some some key differences and nuances there still. Got it. Okay, sure. Um, but anyway, let us hope that uh, the differentiation stays because Intra does have a unique shareholding, right? So uh, there's yeah, always yeah, that uh, one advantage from any non-Intra player that there is this no conflict per se uh, about sharing of. But then it's so. also some yeah yeah. But then there's also some conversations that we had around is this a winner takes it all market? Mm-hmm. Do you believe that that let's say. Uh, international transportation will look like some of the other industries we've seen uh, uh, disrupted over the last 10 years, like media, for instance, right? Do you really believe that that's, it's going to be a winner takes it all and it's going to be Intra who's dominating it or whichever company, ABC, it doesn't matter? Personally, I don't. And personally, I believe that what, what I see Merge Client chasing with their, their new strategies, what I see Cunanago uh, different uh, the, the top NVLCs is investing in acquiring, in setting up uh, venture funds. All these players are trying to get to the same end goal. Now, that is not necessarily a problem because I don't believe it's a, a winner-takes-it-all game. It's going to be room and space here for multiple players. right? And I also believe that from this startup point of view, from the intra point of view, they're not, no one out there is capable of painting this immensely complicated, complex picture of global logistics by themselves in the technology world. Listen, we have customers that have shipments going from Valparaiso into Mombasa, where the last mile delivery is carried. Someone carries, you know, whatever, the diapers or the water bottles into the store. Wow. It might be a, a fantastic idea to build an online booking site 
but that's not suitable for that specific trade route. Maybe it's suitable from, from Shanghai to Long Beach. You know, the, the, the amount of stakeholders involved in moving one container box from A to C in a supply chain is on average 16, 16 right. different companies, right? And that's one string. That's one Shanghai Long Beach uh, A to C movement, right? Whereas there's A to C movements everywhere to everywhere in the world. So the amount of the amount of like loose pieces tied together is so complex. There's a reason why the Kuhnagels, the DB Schenker, the DHL of the world has offices and representations and people on every single corner in every single corner of the world, right? There's a reason why Flexport is scaling so aggressively because they see the need that in order to service their clients properly all over the world, they need local physical presence. Right. You bring it up with the, on the sales side. This is not like the travel industry back in the days transforming or, or changing, right? This is immensely different. And going tying that kind of back to what we be, began with, whether we're concerned about threats or whatever it is, it's not a winner takes it all. It's going to be a combination of tons of different companies from my point of view. Right. Yep. I am with you on that, on the speculation of the top two uh, that usually people compare with, whether it is an Uber, Lyft, or a Flipkart, Amazon, or yeah. different countries have, might not really be, at least in the medium term, possible in shipping. Uh, and the complexity is what makes it beautiful, right? The 16 yeah. different nationalities. I mean, this is extraordinary. But... Uh, just uh, going from there, like you said, the forwarders and carriers, everyone is experimenting with new initiatives, whether it is the blockchain, whether it is a regular mm-hmm. uh, digitization effort to allow bookings, so on, uh, all the touch points. The biggest fundamental uh, difference has been the need for privacy and the massive need that too that uh, freight forwarders would not want to have their rates published online and so, so same with uh, forwarder uh, same with customs brokers and similar with even shippers so when we have such a privacy driven industry where uh, sharing of data is something that is not very open and not acceptable how did you all overcome that big hurdle of allowing someone uh, or getting rates in return but being comfortable with sharing their own rates especially for forwarders for whom they expect this to be their bread and butter well I think this is changing Mm -hmm. so just in the last five years that's dramatically changed Mm -hmm. from the conversations we have with all of these players that's what I want to start right then secondly I absolutely agree with you there's been there's been this um, desire to keep things for yourself, right? Information sharing and transparency has been uh, not perceived as a positive thing. Now, the simplest way, again, that I can look at this, and I, I like to simplify things a, a bit, so, so bear with me. If no one is, is eating and buying cheese, no one will produce cheese. The reason why I'm saying it, it is, is that the demand always decides. In the end, demand always decides, right? What supply does. So if demand has decided that they want more visibility and more transparency, in the end, things will become more transparent. And that's what I've seen over the last four years, that it's clear that demand, the buyers, the shippers, they want more visibility. Now, eventually, suppliers will budge and give them that. So instead of uh, resisting it, 
the conversation has changed inside it turned to like, okay, let's embrace that, but let's try to do it somewhat in a controlled manner, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, um, this is, these are not like, I'm not mentioning customer company names to say this is a customer or that is a customer, okay? But, but let's say that Nike and Adidas uh, had their uh, prices in a, a tool. The purpose is not to, to, to share the information between them. The purpose is to give a, a couple of companies an indication about where they are in the market and whether their suppliers are doing a, a compelling job for them. That's, that's really where the, 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 the information they need and want to see. Right. That is not the same thing as putting up hairs, uh, Nike's Merskine price uh, versus added as MSC price or whatever, right? Yep. That's not the, the goal of it. So as soon as kind of all the different, you know, carriers, NVCs, whatever, get their head wrapped around this, that this is a different way to run your conversations with your customers, the more at ease they, uh, they've become and the more it seems to work. And again, the more they follow what demand tells them to do. Right. Fair. Makes sense. Um, along with that, just uh, to add to it, that uh, rate structures, right? The way we've spoken about privacy. Similarly, mm. the need for an absolute simple pricing structure is for some inherent reason missing. And it's unfortunate that you, we have such complex rate structures uh, in the industry. And that is changing slowly because customers are demanding landed costs and mm. customers want transparency and so on. So um, for you, I'm sure you would have faced the same challenge since uh, you have carrier rates for now and moving forward, all the other uh, type shipments uh, will also be possible. So how did you all go about getting these unstructured pricing uh, formulas and structures, how did you all standardize it and how, where do you see, is that a possibility that in the next five to ten years, even an SME will be able to see a very simple pricing structure for moving goods or you see inherently, fundamentally, there are on-ground challenges which will not let that happen? Well, yeah, so for me, there's several questions. Uh, let me start by telling you what we've done, right? Mm-hmm. So when we got to about a few hundred thousand rates, we were five people in the company, and we had all five crunching data, simply because they're unstructured in all kinds of formats, mm-hmm. and I was worried about the future, right? Mm-hmm. So, because that didn't scale. So, about 70% of all the software we built is back-end, things that our customers never see. Mm-hmm. Today, we put in about 3 million rates a month into the tool, mm-hmm. and it's done with five people. So if you see the efficiency increase, so it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And that's how we, the approach we've taken is that we can build software that supports the manual labor of a data analyst. So we have our speci- a specific rate management team always consider data and rates to be part of our core business. Again, coming back to what we're kind of born from, meaning that we've taken this in-house and we've in, in, invested well, the vast majority of all our development uh, uh, investment into making the the data process and cleaning and cleansing and, and validation uh, uh, really strong. So mm-hmm. if an in, if an industry standard comes along, that's beautiful. That will drive down my operating costs. Right? It will be cheaper for me to 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 inject the data into the database. What we're focusing on so far is that we have something that scales at a healthy cost 
ratio. So mm -hmm. what we're paying dollars versus price points imported into the tool, right? So we've been measuring that and seeing that we've managed to continuously make that equation uh, decline. And as long as that's been the case, we've been fine scaling the business. So all good on that side. When it comes to like a data structure, I, I believe this is one of our, let's say, top 10 topics that our customers are discussing with us at like summits and stuff like that and events. But it's a very difficult, uh, uh, difficult thing to achieve. Like we've been requested whether we could, you could head it up since we we're dealing with all the stakeholders. Maybe Sonata could be like an initiator to, to create a rate standard in the industry. But you've got to then go down to the level of how does CMA, CGM, MSC, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Hopogloid, Mercer, how do they operate and how do they create the data in the first instance? And even there, at that kind of root cause problem, it's quite complex. And then you've got to persuade them to, to come to an agreement of, of one uniform standard. And that journey is incredibly hard. <laughs> so, so, so far, I've concluded that, nah, we can live with what's currently the standard, right? right. We, we're dealing with that perfectly fine. It's not a showstopper or a bottleneck for us. So we'll keep it at that and continue growing the, scaling the business. But if the carrier signals an interest in doing this, then we'd be more than happy to entertain those conversations. Again, I think you're right that at some point it will change or become simplified, and whether it's the carrier, carriers um, separately doing this themselves or jointly, I don't know. But the customer will uh, get that as well, that eventually it's going to be simpler for them to understand the, the, the price curve. Right. Fair. And uh, it's, uh, the core challenge is that the large shippers are having the resources, having the softwares to match the uh, quotes against the invoices, and they're able to identify the differences. It's the SMEs where majority yeah. of non-transparency is impacting them. And hopefully in the future, other softwares are able to bring that uh, difference down. Uh, whether it's through carriers or through the softwares that we adopt. Uh, let's see, like you said, time will tell. So from an outsider's yeah. perspective, uh, we hear that everything in freight is broken and everything needs to be digitized or automated or even eliminated. So <laughs> uh, what's your take on which are the most, or let's say the hanging fruits of this logistics industry, which could be the first sub-segments which experience a digital transformation? We've seen press releases across the board, right? But that, uh, that's speaking about everything under the sun. Um, which ones do you think are practical and definitely going to happen? I'm not really sure whether I have to approach that question, to be honest. I, because I, I somewhat disagree with the notion that the industry is so broken. Mm -hmm. it's, if you go, I, it looks like that. It looks like that. It's a very simplified conclusion, though. It's It's too much simplified. It, it looks like that, but once you look at the complexity behind, it's, it's, it's somewhat understandable, right? Right. And then, then I believe that what I see, see happening is that everyone is trying to innovate. All forwarders on all continents are doing it. All carriers are doing it. Everyone is trying to make this change. And I don't believe we're facing like a disruption. I talked about a disruption with people five, six, seven years ago. We're talking, it's not true. We're talking about transformation. 
things are changing consistently. New offerings are coming up, more efficient offerings are coming up. But the total complexity of this is just so immense. So I'm, I'm struggling to like say, like, okay, this this is the first thing that's going to go belly up or be completely changed or whatever it is. It's, to me, this over the last six, seven years, it's been slowly changing or slowly improving, improving from an efficiency point of view. And how that is from, you know, company uh, A to company B looks slightly different because they have all these so unique requirements. You know, the pharma company with that amount of volume, with those trade routes, with those transit time requirements, with that uh, X, Y, and C versus the other one is so different than the next. And all of a sudden you end up with this very much like tailored thing coming from the service provider to service that specific client. And I believe that is going in the, the right direction and it's more and more empowered by technology. Right. There's only a handful that doesn't like innovate. There's a few I could name drop, but, but most of them are. And I don't see this, uh, this clear, like one low hanging fruit that it's going to have this massive impact. They're all changing small things all the time improving. And in the end, that is what leads to this transformation that we see happening in the industry. The big change right. is, is the, uh, the everyone's, everyone's um, uh, interest mm-hmm. to look at this and to actually actually do something. Five years ago, that wasn't the case. Now you have top executives on board level on the large global enterprises focusing on this, on the supply side. They were focusing. Nobody have any illusions that in the future there will be more technology behind their services to run their businesses. Right? Okay. So that is the biggest change that I say. And that's okay. going to drive more of this uh, transformation. Okay. Sure, sure. Good to know. Thanks for that. Um, so you've also got great investors on board and logistics startups are uh, attempting to disrupt and then reality hits and uh, and then we realize the amount of time that it would take is much longer. So this is not typical uh, two-year, uh, $1 billion sort of uh, journey, which most hyper-local startups or, or uh, tech companies see. So um, since you've got a fabulous uh, range of investors, which fundraising lessons would you want to share which uh, you've learned as a logistics startup which is attempting to disrupt an industry which potentially could take an entire lifetime to change? Um, so what, which lessons would you want to share? You're right that you gotta find you gotta find patient investors that understands the industry, and that's taken us quite a lot of searching because we've been we've been very deliberate that this is uh, or, or very clear about the fact that this is gonna take time. Mm-hmm. But what we're building up is a healthy business, and it's a fast-growing business, fast enough. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything is relative, right? Not every company can be a Facebook company, but right. you can build some fantastic businesses behind there, right? And so what we're doing is, is we're, we're basically creating a very valuable strategic position that is scaling quick enough. I believe there's that's somewhat of the conundrum that you're uh, alluding to as well. That it has in order to go to venture capital, we have to scale. Right. So you've got to find a way to build a sales machine that supports the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. So and that's difficult in this space because it's a lot of relationships that's required in order to actually uh, transact. But that kind of it links nicely together what you asked about in the beginning, right? How to go to market, how to reach and, and convert companies into customers. And it, need, it needs to be high-performing. Otherwise, you can't go to venture capital. 
the idea in itself is, is, is enough in the beginning, but then you have to start and deliver. And that is that is the problem, but it's it's not unique for our industry. You can look to other industries, you see the same, but you still find companies that have succeeded, both in terms of raising money and, to, and, in, and in scaling their businesses, right? So it's just difficult. Right. Yeah. Now, okay. yeah. So I would argue that, yeah, look for that patient investor that understands the space, really understand it, and is willing to dig in mm-hmm. to to understand how the industry works, right? Mm-hmm. So that once you have them on board, they will actually provide you with some value. That's that's I guess my two cents to begin with. Sure. Yep. Thanks for that. Um, also, we today we see port to port trades, which is uh, one of the core offerings that you have. And just around that, when do you think an SME will be able to leverage Zenita? And when do you think a DDP shipment will be uh, comparable, effectively, accurately on Zenita? That's a good question. A couple of good questions. Well, I think. Uh Ah, uh, it's hard to give you a time, precise timeline oh, because I, course, I'm just the way we're gonna, the way we're gonna, the way we're exploring this is that we're giving smaller, medium-sized businesses kind of indirect access to their service providers, right? So some service providers are already doing that with their SMEs today. A handful of them only to 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 its early days, right? But this is. I, I'd rather scale into that uh, segment of the industry through these partnerships, right? Because I'm not rigged and I can't build a company like that. We need thousands of people worldwide to service that kind of customer group, right? Right. So I have to run it through these partners who can be that person on the ground, as you uh, also mentioned that you need. Uh, and, and that's how I intend to, to, to reach that customer or that addressable market. But Got that's it. going to take time. Right. Okay. Sure. Fair. And uh, just uh, one last question uh, for all the young listeners and all the startup professionals and also folks who are about to start up again. Um, what's your advice uh, to the growing professionals in the logistics industry? Uh, all the listeners of Cargolic would love to hear your views. General advice is uh, who that's that's a difficult question. This it really depends, but uh, I think that I don't. I, I'd rather say that they they should pr- feel privileged that they they can be a part of an industry that is transforming in this kind of way. Right in this in 2018, there's sometimes I refer to our industry as an, an old dinosaur, right? and I don't mean that in an insulting way, but it sounds it sure sounds like that. But I don't mean it. But it's it's not in a lot of industries that that's embracing technology for not the first time because our industry has always embraced technology, but mm-hmm. but relatively to a lot of other industries, they're somewhat late to the party. And for all the newcomers coming into the space, this is. This is a beautiful thing that they can witness because there's so much to learn from it. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to invent the wheel. You can look at other industries to see what's been accomplished and try and replicate it into this industry. And that's, that's a beautiful learning uh, experience that I, I see as uh, going through. And I, I really enjoyed that ride and journey personally. And I believe that is one of our privileges. Sure. Yep. Very well said. And uh, in terms of this is probably the best time for every logistician from an outsider from an outsider perspective. The best phase for logistics to go through hasn't been better. Um, 
but patrick thank you so much for your time and it's been a fabulous conversation i'm sure for most listeners it's going to be a great insight and a lot of dots will connect and uh, big big thank you from all of us thank you for having me and animating me and having me bhavik really appreciated the conversation thank you for tuning in to carboholic we look forward to your suggestions on our social platforms and on carboholic@varmashit.com any suggestions or feedbacks related to the guests we should invite or the type of content we should speak about are more than welcome and we look forward to connecting with you all offline and stay tuned on the next episode of carboholic which we will announce very soon and a big thank you again for tuning in